Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and in studio, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, the opposite of a national park is a cubicle. (laughs) You've dragged me kicking and screaming into the Sports Illustrated office. And look, I love the guys here and, and everything like that, but office life is not really my flow. However, I'm in a very good mood. And excited to talk to you because I just got out of the NBA draft media availability. Yeah. So I've got a lot of snap takes on based solely <laughs> on personality and apparel about how these guys are going to be, uh, you know, progressing as NBA prospects. I can't wait, and I appreciate you coming across town. We've been in the same city for two days now. I haven't seen you. You were going <laughs> to hole up in your hotel room and write all night, and I did. I demanded it. I demanded you take an Uber across town to do. A quick draft preview before tomorrow night. Let's just say this. Superstar duos have split over less than the <laughs> <laughs> than the fit that you pitched this afternoon. I mean I put my foot down. Look, um, if I was Harden or, you know, Dwight Howard, someone would have been traded. But uh, <laughs> thankfully well, we survived it again. No, I am excited to be here though because it's kind of a dog and pony show, the the pre-draft media availability, but every year I love it. It's not quite the podium, Andrew. The podium is on its own level, yeah. but it's got podium tendencies. You know, it's funny because initially I had planned to record this at like 10 a.m. Wednesday morning, get it out early, give us like a day and a half before the draft so people could listen to it. But I could tell that draft media day was very important to you. It's it's become kind of a rite of spring in your New York travels every June. So I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I'm glad it lived up to the hype. And we have 20 or so NBA draft questions we're going to try to run through today. But first and foremost, I you're, you're better at the plugs than I am, but everyone should tune into our live draft show tomorrow night. We will both be promoting with links on Twitter. It'll be kind of like a live podcast. There will be two other colleagues of ours there, Matt Dollinger and Rohan Nadkarni. And uh, you can also watch us. I mean, it just, just check it out. Yeah, I feel like, so the roles are, Matt's going to be sort of kind of policing everything, trying to keep order, maintain order. Rohan, I think, is coming in sort of like a scorpion. He's just trying to sting you to get you angry, maybe come at me a little bit, get me frustrated. And then obviously you and I are going to be screaming at each other about everything for uh, like, what, two and a half hours or two hours, something like that. It's an extended play podcast. Everything that you like about the open floor, plus a lot of stuff that you don't know you like or dislike will come out, I think, (laughs) over the course. If you couldn't tell by the tease, I'm a little bit uneasy and have no idea what we're getting getting ourselves into. But just keep us on in the background of the draft, like a second screen. It's all about second screen experiences these days. And uh, we'll have fun. I have no idea what what it's going to be like. Look, if it goes beautifully, great. If it's a train wreck, also great. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't have to be picky. Who really cares? You don't have to be picky, you know? It's not like there's anything else on. So anyways, all right. Let's get into the draft. Uh, I don't know. Where do you want to start here? How about with the first question on your list of 20 draft questions <laughs> that you sent me? That'd be a, a great place right, to start. All right, fine. The first thing that I had on the list was uh, actually a tweet from Jake Fisher he said this afternoon, he S-A's, said, S.I.'s on, Jake S-I's Fisher. S.I.'s Jake Fisher. He said, when Jaron Jackson Jr. met with the Thunder at the draft combine, OKC's executives began by asking him to sell them a pen like Wolf of Wall Street. 
And I included that because I just can't believe that really happened. I mean, just imagine asking an 18-year-old to sell you a pen. Have you seen Wolf of Wall Street? I have, but what I was really picturing here was... You know, some of these executives actually listen to Open Floor. I feel like they listen to our ad reads, especially the one where I was comparing the the hair website to Tijuana. (laughs) (laughs) Can't you see them listening to some of our most ridiculous ad reads and just deciding, you know what, that sounds like more fun than a typical pre-draft interview. Let's just throw some oddball questions at him. I mean, you want to try to sell me a pen right now? (laughs) I I wouldn't know where to start. It would be pretty great if they were like, hey, just take me through this Buffalo Wild Wings ad copy. (laughs) See see what you got. Well, I was hanging out with uh, Lonnie Walker. Uh, I guess he's projected lottery picker, first round pick. Uh, He went to Miami. He's got a lot of takes. He has a lot of takes, but his best take, I mean, he's got a lot of bad takes. (laughs) (laughs) We could probably say that. Indeed. (laughs) Kind of like the Kyrie Irving circle of takes, right? But he got asked, if you were a utensil, what utensil would you be? And that's very similar to this sell me a pen question, right? Because you've got to like think about your, your strengths and weaknesses. And here's what he came up with. Uh-huh. Spork. And, and they're, That's the best answer, but yeah. They came but back, also kind of cheating. Well, they came back at him. And they're like, you know, that's plastic, right? Like as if that was like, <laughs> but he's like, but so he goes, well, I have, I'm a spork because I'm versatile. So I'm like a spoon and a fork, but then I'm also flexible. I can like guard multiple <laughs> positions. I was like, wow, this guy really is thinking on a second level. I hope that's the kicker to your Lonnie Walker feature on Thursday. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do you have a, what, what utensil would you be? That's a really... I'm just glad that the draft gives us an excuse to have these conversations. I feel like I might be a dull butter knife. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what, as you were talking, I'm thinking like, I would like to think of myself as a fork, but I'm probably more of a spoon. Um, just, uh, you know? Is that... Is there innuendo there? What, I, what no, you... <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm not quite like that hard body, like get out there and fight every day fork. Um, but I don't know. Maybe spork is is the best we can hope for. Am I a blender? Us and Lonnie Walker. Is, is a blender a utensil? <laughs> yeah, you could throw you could throw a curveball in there and go can opener. Anyways, we are getting way <laughs> off course. <laughs> no, I think this is the course. That's sort of my point with when we when we get into the draft craziness. I mean, you have to embrace it. You have to lean all the way into it. A hundred percent. Okay, so next question on the list. I promise they get more serious from here. Uh, Tom says. Would Donovan Mitchell be the same player if he'd been selected by franchises with more instability and crazy issues going on? Would Kawhi Leonard be Justice Winslow if he wasn't selected by the Spurs? I think that fit and development have a much greater impact on careers than we currently attribute to to it. Who's Kawhi Leonard? (laughs) Kawhi Leonard is dead to at least half of this podcast. Um, I saw Donovan Mitchell at my hotel today. Yeah. That's the whole story. Cool. Uh, But (laughs) I think there is a lot to be said, not only for the franchise, but just the, the, the roster makeup that he's got around him too, right? Like if you don't have Rudy Gobert back there just taking care of businesses, if you don't have a coach with clear... Uh, idea of what he wants from the supporting cast guys and already have collected those guys over the course of a year or two like the Jazz did, mm-hmm. Mitchell's not going to be the same player. He might be less efficient. He might still get scoring volume. You know, He might be one of those guys who's got good stats, You know, bad team. Yeah. So, of course, context matters a lot. Now, in terms of what Kawhi could have become, uh, as much as I've sort of been joking and kind of you know poking holes in his shortcomings, anytime a player goes from role guy to superstar over the course of like three or four years with steady development every single year, he deserves yeah. most of the credit. I th- I agree with that. I do think that 
Kawhi hit levels in San Antonio that he wouldn't have hit elsewhere, um, in part because they were so good at honing in on what makes him special and, and emphasizing those parts of his game and, uh, and also working with him on the jumper and sort of like just helping him get to that next level. So I think in general, it's, it's a little bit of both. I, where I would push back is I, I do think that at this point, we do kind of focus on context a lot and recognize how valuable that can be. And what's interesting to me about this draft is you look at the teams that are in the top 10 and we're going to be able to test some of these theories from Tom, because I think a lot of these teams are real shaky and like Marvin Bagley going to Sacramento, who knows? Like he's kind of on his own and he's going to have to sort of fend for himself a little bit. And the same is true with DeAndre Ayton to an extent. Um, whoever goes to Memphis, if it's Luka Doncic and Jared Jackson in Atlanta and like whoever goes to that Cavs team next year, like it's it, all these players are going to be jumping into some dysfunctional type situations. Yeah, and can, it's going to be an interesting test for them. Can we zoom out for a second? If I told you before all this started months ago, that a very highly ranked high school prospect would come out and make it clear he was the one guy who wanted to go to the Kings when everybody else is doing their best to like erase their doctor's numbers from Google <laughs> so that no one can get any idea about their medical history from the Sacramento Kings. He wanted to go to Sacramento and he signed with Puma how nervous would you be? What would you think the bust rate would be? Like 97%? You know what, man? It shouldn't matter that he signed with Puma, but it really does to me Kinda deep does. down. <laughs> and so it's not fair to Marvin Bagley to, to pin that on him. And it's also not fair to say that he should be forcing himself, <laughs> forcing his way out of Sacramento. But uh, yeah, there. look, it's a little bit of a red flag. Along those lines, one thing I've been thinking about this week is... We've seen it a little bit. We've seen it particularly with Sacramento where, where guys kind of like don't send medicals and, and drag their feet on workouts and everything. But given the amount of control that teams have over the guys they draft for the first eight years of their career, I think we're really only at the beginning of the era of draft prospects leveraging their way away from teams. I think... I think we're there. And I say this for two reasons. First of all, congratulations to Bagley. If he wants to go to number two and that he's cool I with think it. It is important to him, which yeah. again is kind of a weird thing, but, but sure. I'm not going to hold that against him. I mean, that's fine. But yeah. I do think that you see all these rumors that do hit Twitter. The stuff that doesn't hit Twitter is like people's honest takes about some of these environments. And this year, just listening to people have conversations over the last 36 hours here in New York, Sacramento, Orlando, Memphis, they're like potholes that people are just trying to avoid. It's just like, how can we get our, like, it's one thing if you can go number one, it's another thing if someone will trade up maybe in a big market to get to one of those spots Yeah. Uh, from later in the lottery. You know, it's another thing if you get to it, just a good team, if you're kind of a mid first round type of prospect, you obviously you want to go to teams that have like established cultures and, and all of those things. That makes sense. But from some of these top guys, it's just sort of like, there's and I not can't really a lot of blame interest. Them, you know, I, I, it's, I understand if you're a Grizzlies fan or if you're a Kings fan listening, I would be pissed off. But I, it's not me saying that. I'm yeah. saying I've heard high level prospects and people very close to them just say, like, if we had our choice, <laughs> we wouldn't go to those teams. Yeah, exactly. And if I were managing the business affairs of one of those 19 year old kids, I'd be like, you know what, Luca. <laughs> 
we're gonna we're gonna force our way to Dallas yeah. because that's gonna be worth it in five years. You know, if you're the uncle, don't have that sloppy Kawhi Leonard situation play out like seven <laughs> yeah. years down the road. Just get to a place where you could be that premier guy from the jump. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, listen. Continuing down the list here. Next question is from Kevin, who says. Hey guys, I was thinking about Orlando's upcoming pick. Kevin is our longtime representative of Magic Perfect. Nation. Ke- Kevin, I'm sorry for what we just said about your team. <laughs> I don't apologize to the other fan bases because I made the clarifying point that I needed to make in terms of it wasn't us trashing them, it was other people trashing them. But Kevin, I know you take it personally because you've been emailing us for like two and a half years straight. Sorry for your magic. Yes. Well, we'll we'll focus on the magic for a minute here. Kevin says, Trey Young obviously fills a big hole on the roster at point guard, and he would give us a much-needed shot maker. But what if Michael Porter's physical comes back clean and he's available? Um, Let's save Porter for the next question because that's <laughs> a longer discussion. I just want to say... I am more in on Trey Young than I've let on in these discussions over it's the last few weeks. It's because he's falling, isn't it? it well, I just think he's going to be really good. I think that he his shooting is legitimately special, and he's a really, really good passer. And I think he does enough things well that like I, I can't really envision him not being uh, a player plus factor for for any team in the league and I think that he's kind of like he's a guy who was nitpicked to death in March and April and has never really recovered from a buzz or hype standpoint but I think fast forward to July summer league and like the first few months of next season people are going to look up and say holy shit Trey Young's actually really good I don't totally get why he's slipping like why you know every year one or two guys gets nailed on this right and we know what his flaws are. Uh, they've been known, <laughs> you know, for years. So why yeah, defense, basically? Yeah, and like size, you know. Okay, so is he just going to get bullied, and you're going to have a hard time keeping him on the court? And and also, I think you know maybe he's like a little too pure version of Steph, like unconscious type, like yeah, th- you know, lack of conscious when it comes to shooting. I mean, some of the shots he takes are ludicrous, and even Steph would think twice about some of his shots. Right, and I think some of that was the system at Oklahoma, and, and he was no double-teamed constantly. Yeah. He's not in the NBA Finals, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it just, to me, if he were just a shooter, because his shooting numbers kind of fell off down the stretch this year because of the workload that he was dealing with, but if he, if he were just a shooter... I would understand kind of looking at him with a side eye, but he's also such a good passer. He's so creative in tight spaces. I just, he's the guy that like Luca has drawn a lot of Steve Nash comparisons. I think those are more apt when we start to talk about Trey Young. Well, I think he would appreciate that, right? Like, isn't that one of the guys he says he kind of looks up to? Yeah. Uh, uh, I think I'm sort of with you that the consensus of him sliding, I want to push back against that. I think that's kind of foolish. I think there would be some teams that would be missing a real opportunity with him if he were to somehow, like, I don't know, fall out of the top 10. Like, isn't that what's sort of being discussed? Yeah, and it's that's sti- too he's much. still a huge gamble because, yeah. I mean, he could just be an awful defender whose offense doesn't totally translate, yeah. at which point, like, I don't know what you are, like Seth Curry or yeah. something. But, uh, but he he's there's enough upside there where if I were a team in the second half of the top 10, I'd be like thrilled to roll the dice and Orlando should do it. I, that's the team that I would like to see him on. Yeah. So I spent some time around him on Tuesday, just with these various Adidas events, very nice guy had his like whole family and, and kind of a lot of people in tow. He's got a little bit of that star power. I think he would, 
probably prefer to go to some of these big market teams. Like every time he was getting asked about the Knicks, there was sort of like a certain look in his eye, you know. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know who knows there, but uh, he has a little KD to his personality, Andrew. A little. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know what KD means at this point well, in time. It's the stuff that you pick on him for the insecurity. Like he was getting these questions kind of back and forth, and he just really was not comfortable. He was kind of getting asked about. One of the Adidas events, he was getting asked about his lack of size and a little edgy. Then he was asked kind of a lighthearted question about, apparently he had a crush on Zendaya. I think she sells like- I don't know who that is. I think she sells acne cream, but she's probably actually a singer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but- I love the draft. Here we go. So he had his girl with him though. So okay. he was he was very uncomfortable answering Zendaya yeah, questions. Well, at that point, you're kind of walking on eggshells. I can't blame him for that. I'm just saying there are certain guys in this draft who are already polished. I think Porter, you know, he is almost probably too polished, frankly. <laughs> and you look at Aiton, like he's got a certain like kind of caricature. And I just think Trey Young, maybe not totally comfortable in his own skin at this point off the court. Okay. And it's very KD-like. KD's an assassin on the court, off the court, he's burnering. You know? Interesting. I, that's not... An observation I've heard anywhere else, but that's why we come to you for Fresh eyes. <laughs> exclusive <laughs> snap judgments based on 30-minute interactions with draft prospects. Well, look, he's probably zonked out and exhausted, you know, coming into the city, too. I mean, I, I, that's very common. These guys go through a million interviews, but there was just a certain ill at ease. Okay. About All right. Him. Well, something to, something to think about if you're the Atlanta Hawks or uh, the Chicago Bull, Bulls or whoever might draft um, Trey Young. But listen... We've been burying the lead here because there's a lot to talk about with Michael Porter. Anoop says Giannis Inc. should sue for defamation after Michael Porter's pre-draft comments this week. This is like comparing Buffalo Wild Wings to any other wing establishment. Nice. Or to put it in Ben Golliver terms, this is like comparing Yosemite National Park to the world's smallest park from Parks and Recreation. <laughs> so I don't get the joke, but I, I like the idea. <laughs> so for anyone who missed what Michael Porter was saying earlier this week, he went on the radio and was asked about his game and said this. Can you say it in his voice? Can you do an impression? I can't. I right. can't. I feel like that would be a little bit too much. But, um, <laughs> but Michael Porter says, right now, I'm a mix of Giannis and KD. Oh, boy. You know, I like going to the hole a little more than KD does. I like bumping into people and I'm a little bit more physical than KD. But I also like to shoot the ball a little bit more than Giannis. So that's what I like to compare myself to. And then also Tracy McGrady. I get compared to him a lot, and I like that one a lot too. You know, those are three amazing players. So it doesn't feel bad to be in the same conversation as them, which is a real power move, like 30 seconds after you put yourself in the conversation with Giannis and KD to uh, express gratitude for being included in the in the conversation. The whole thing, Michael Porter Jr. is just incredible to me as a prospect and as a like star of the draft process for the last three weeks. So, what do you think? I think I you know I capitalized my sentences uh, much like Hemingway. I would say I I use verbs very similar to Nabokov and. Uh, I would say I probably use commas a, a lot like Faulkner. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, come on. Like he's saying he bumps more than KD in go karts. What's he doing? Where is he, where is he doing this bumping, Andrew? Didn't this guy play three games? I yeah, and looked really like whoever advised him to play those three college games is hopefully not in his life anymore because that was a really bad decision. Um, I do think it would have been interesting. Like, had he not done that. 
he easily might be the number one pick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like people really would have gotten crazy here. I don't know. To review though, he is a vegan. He yeah. has uh documented back problems yeah. and had hip spasms a couple weeks ago that you prompted don't, him to cancel a workout. You don't need a back for the NBA though. Yeah. No, I mean here, I don't here's know. What he's, I, he's very slow and doesn't pass. And that was described to me last summer is because I, I was very high on Michael Porter Jr. And just because I was envisioning like the next KD, because we're due for another like young superstar wing, and uh, I always he's thought not that I thought the KD comps for him were just always off from the start. I do think he actually has the potential to be a pretty good player if he's healthy. He doesn't pass. He's got blinders. He's you know he's seeing red. You know yeah. he's, he's looking at the rim basically every time the ball's in his hand. I think if we zoom back and and replay how his draft process should have gone. I mean, he already did like this whole pro day idea in Chicago, which to me, great idea. But when you cancel it or you reschedule it, not such a great idea anymore. So if he could have just never come back during the rate, you know, the season at all for Missouri had a super hyped up pro day, maybe where he's like streaming it on like ballislife.com or something like that with yeah. the teams in attendance and just allow that one like two hour workout to basically speak for his entire freshman year. I think there's a pretty darn good chance he would have been the number one or number two pick. Which is insane and speaks to how stupid this process can get. But uh, I completely agree with you. I don't know. To me, like if we're talking comparisons, he he really does sort of feel like vegan Jeff Green, which yeah. is not great and a far cry from the best of KD and the, and better than Giannis. Yeah, we, but... we, we reached singularity today. You texted me vegan De- Jeff Green as Michael Porter Jr. was explaining in detail for probably <laughs> – three or four minutes the virtues of being a vegan and you know being a vegetarian myself and having everyone think i'm a vegan because you told them i was a vegan (laughs) and constantly getting like instagram messages from people recommending vegan places to me um hearing michael porter jr say well i never ate meat previously but yes it is a little bit more difficult for me to to not be able to eat pizza like i used to and you know going just in so much detail about his diet um I was sitting there thinking, wow, this is what we've got to talk about with him because he didn't do anything on the court. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, like his agent deserves a Nobel Prize for getting this dude drafted in the top 10. I I think that's going too far, though, because he was a big time high school player. And I I, I get that. I remember that because, I mean, he was getting all the headlines locally up in the Pacific Northwest about that. So I'm reading all these stories, you know, Brandon Roy's in his life. He, He was supposed to go to Washington, all these things. I mean, he was like the next guy. All the Seattle guys were swearing by yeah. him. They were, you know, the J- Jamal Crawfords of the world, the Nate Robinson. Everyone was giving him the cosigns. And I just don't feel like this back injury is career altering. I guess that's where I'm coming from. Okay. First of all, funny story regarding his Seattle ties. At one point about two years ago, I pitched a story to SI where I would go out to Seattle and write about Markel Fultz and Michael Porter Jr. as like the future of basketball perfect, perfect, yeah. <laughs> together in the same city. And that would not have aged well. So I'm glad that didn't happen. Uh, I don't want to be too hard on Michael Porter. I just do feel like there are a lot of very real red flags that would give me pause if I were a team drafting in the top 10 and even the lottery. Like I, Just because I think even when healthy, there are some big holes in his game that uh i don't know i i think like foot speed it's it's not just 
the uh, like wings are valuable, but you have to be mobile and you have to be able to move the ball. And we're, we've kind of seen that with Wiggins a little bit where like there are limitations, even if you do kind of fit the archetype of what the NBA wants. Yeah. I mean, if he's, if he's dancing, he's stepping on his girl's feet, you know, exactly. when, when he plays defense, there's a lot of like, you know, sprained ankles for his data prom, you know, we're dealing with a lot of that when he's trying to move uh, in space. And I mean, when you want these guys who can play multiple positions on offense, you can use them in all these different ways. You want mobility, like you're saying, that's a super high virtue. And for him, he's more of like a, a straight line guy on offense, and then defense is just sort of like a funnel to the rim. Yeah, but he uh, does but, kind of feel like a Chicago Bull, where like it's going to be that front office flexing on the rest of the league, and everyone's going to tell jokes on draft night, and then. Who knows? I mean, big head Baghetti out there in Chicago could absolutely turn around and, like, the Bulls could be awesome next year. Who knows? Um, well, I think, wouldn't you sit him out next year? Wouldn't you, if, you, if you're taking him in the top God, seven? If, if we're having that conversation. No, I know, but I'm just saying strategically. Like, would it, I mean, the lottery odds are changing, right? So you've got to work now if you really want to you know, be bad. Yeah. And there are a lot of teams in this lottery, as I've mentioned, teams who have no shot of being good, teams where guys don't want to go, where you're not going to be turned around by Michael Porter Jr.'s addition, right? So like, I mean, imagine being the Suns like two years ago, right? Like what's the downside if you're that bad? Or imagine being the Magic right now, what's the downside? If you're the Bulls right now, what's the downside? Draft him you know, stash him yeah. in a hospital and, uh, you know, come back next year with a high lottery pick. I, if you're drafting him and stashing him for the sake of tanking, I think you don't have to worry about that. You can play Michael Porter Jr. 30 minutes a game. And no, but be... I'm saying, like, to get I him get back it. fully healthy. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And that makes the, sense. The Sixers, it's hinky, hinky part two. Yeah, it's, Embiid was amazing when he was healthy at Kansas, and, and Porter Jr. has not been at that level. But um, Well, it'd be similar to, like, what they did with Simmons, right? Where it's like, maybe you could play him, maybe you couldn't play him. Yeah. Let's just not play him and take the losses. I think that was Team Simmons making that call. Um, well, I, if I'm Team Porter... I wouldn't be opposed to that. Sure. Especially after you're saying the last three. You don't want him going out there with all the hype of being like the face of the Chicago Bulls. Like, here he is, like the new one-two punch with Lowry marking in, and, you know, he can't move. Look, and... I can't wait to see where this goes next. <laughs> I'm I'm ready for the adventures of Michael Porter Jr. to continue, so I don't want to hate too hard because, sure, he could – I would love it if he sat out the entire year and kept giving interviews about his game and which Hall of Famers he compares himself to. Yeah, I hope this goes back to the Mad Lib factory for Michael Porter Jr. So he can he can find some more analogies and comparison points. Let's he can do it. fill in the blanks a little bit He's more effectively. definitely the interview I'm looking forward to most on draft night. But continuing on and closer to the top of the draft, Scott says, Didn't Marvin Bagley reclassify? I'm not interested in this because of his age, but I don't understand why it doesn't get discussed more with what he accomplished this year and his supposed weaknesses. He seems to move well. Why wouldn't more experience help the defense? It seems like all of these guys have a program each offseason with Team USA basketball and camps. Because of when he reclassified, didn't he miss a lot of what guys do leading into senior year and then an entire senior year of development? Um, I think... It's true that he did reclassify. I, he was also older for his original grade, so it's not too uh, – I wouldn't, like, let it swing things too much. Um, Bagley, in general, though, 
there is a lot to work with and he may not be as hopeless as some people would have you believe. Um, and he's the guy that I really struggle with it, to just get a read on generally because he just there. He's so good and so explosive as an athlete that he, I mean, he should be really good, but he also seems like I don't really know how he fits with what teams want to do. He, he's a big man who can't shoot threes. I don't know. Yeah, or or really play much defense. You know, right. I love the Mike Schmidt's bra- uh, breakdown videos that he does every year, the strengths and weakness videos. Uh, I'm sure everybody who listens to this has watched those videos. But watching the weaknesses section of the Bagley video was sort of like looking at the <laughs> crime scene photos in that Netflix show, The Staircase, or like gruesome, you know, really, really bad at times. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be like that all the time, but you'll ride the roller coaster if you watch the strength and weaknesses video you'll be all the way in on bagley oh this guy moves so well he's fleet-footed he's up and down the court (laughs) he dunks everything like he you know there's not really a good defensive matchup for him do you play him with undersized guys and hope you can muscle him like you know how do you how do you contend with his length and and his desire to to go to the basket and you get to that weaknesses side and you're you're throwing up on the on the roller coaster yeah and it's just i mean I think a lot of the guys in the top 10 are real boomer bust type players and none more so than Bagley because he, unlike Luka Doncic and DeAndre Ayton, both of whom I think are at least going to be really solid starters for the next 10 years, Bagley, like this could go a lot of different directions. He could be a flat out superstar and he could also just like flame out and be like, Jeff Green (laughs) and I don't want to keep comparing everybody to Jeff Green but he's like there's a there's a wide spectrum with him and putting him on the Kings is again like not super encouraging I mean if he goes to the Kings and I'm saying this seriously he should have his like own coach like he should get to have like his own hand selected like assistant coach who will just track his development on their staff with him all the time because they've wasted so many lottery picks over the last years and if you're that you know if you're picking this high you can't just let your career be kind of handled by them. And yes, that's a harsh assessment. But look, facts are facts. Kings fans know it's true. Um, the other thing I mentioned earlier, is it a red flag that he signed with Puma and he wants to go to Sacramento? Let's flip it around. Is it a red flag that they love this guy over Doncic? <laughs> to me, that's a red flag. What's that? I'll take Puma? Doncic. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying if the Kings are so you know reportedly enamored with taking Bagley at two over yeah. Doncic, isn't that all we need to know, that Doncic is going to be a better prospect? A lot of people have read it that way. That's how I read it. Yeah. And I, I would, to be honest, I'm taking Doncic over Aiden. I've been, I don't know if I said that 100% on <laughs> the last episode. Did. You did. Okay, I well, know that's how you feel deep down. I'm tripling down on that. One. I think Aiden has legitimate, like, all NBA potential, and that alone is enough to justify using that number one pick because if you land at number one like you want to get a a franchise superstar and i don't think that Doncic has as much upside but i understand where you're coming from and you're not crazy and uh i think the it becomes even more extreme because bagley is much less of a sure thing to be at that all-star level and uh and then the downside is scarier too so Again, we're we're riding the roller coaster with a few of these teams, and the Kings are like I don't know. I no one should have reason to feel confident in them. Well, Andrew, we also had a lot of email pushback at openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail 
at gmail.com about my take that they should consider trading the number two pick <laughs> for Kawhi Leonard. Let me ask you this. Would you rather have Marvin Bagley for the next you're not going to get him for nine years because he's not going to want to be in Sacramento. They couldn't even keep Boogie, and hold Boogie on, actually wanted on. to be there. So do you want to have the next, let's say, six years of a guy who you're eventually probably going to have to trade because he's going to want to force his way out? I don't think you could start thinking like that. If that's how the they Kings, think. That, that's how they know. have to think. Andrew, they can't even get medical reports on half the guys in the lottery. He wants to be there now, and that's all that matters. And I think if you're if you're Sacramento, like you got to look at that and say, all right, so he's invested. That's that's a plus, and it sounds like that's what they're doing. The, I, just, I think we should spend more time as analysts being honest here, how tough it is for them. They've backed themselves into a corner through a long-term mismanagement of all aspects of yes. their organization. And that's why it's not even about like the city of Sacramento. No. It's it's really that front office and how crazy things have been for the last o- five or six years. Ownership, front office, track record of losing, and talent available on hand. Like they have to, I mean, look, they're in desperate times. And so I'm saying desperate measures. Is it really worth uh, worse to try to develop a guy who's going to probably need to be two or three years to get to who you wanted him to be mm-hmm. and then risk him going away or hoping that Kawhi can be a culture changer. I mean, which which would you prefer? Well, here's the thing. This circles back to where we began. <laughs> this Bagley answer is, I don't know whether I'm missing something because he's a phenomenal athlete and people seem to love him. So maybe he's just going to be really good. And like there are a lot of smart people who I've talked to who think that he's the best prospect in the draft class. So maybe I'm wrong and I think maybe like there are certain red flags that are that are so obvious that they can then become overstated and uh that could be where we are. But the Kawhi question again, I think you're under underrating just how depressing it would be to watch Kawhi out there with like Buddy Heald and Willie Cauley Stein just cruise into a eighth seat. Like I, I don't know if that's worth it. I would rather roll the dice with anyone in the top ten for the next eight years than try to like sell fans on because NBA fans are too smart to buy into that and not be like completely miserable. All well, the next truly year. smart NBA fans have seen what they've done with their draft picks over the last eight years <laughs> and would be questioning whether they want those guys to make the the pick again. That's that's all that's all I'm saying. And also for the record, my take on. You know, people renting Kawhi. It wasn't a king specific. You were making a broader point, which is actually good, and we shouldn't get too far into the Kawhi conversation again. But uh, because we're going to have the next couple weeks to talk about that, that's fine. I'll bring it back to Bagley then. You're saying he might be the most talented player in the draft. Fellow players respect his game. You know, this is a guy who's constantly on the summer league circuit. You know, he's he's played in like uh, uh, you know, the, the LA gyms, the Drew League, and all that stuff. The LA guys swear by his you know ability to score the rock and, yeah. and get buckets and i do think that there's something to the emailer's point about how much he can he can progress as a player he can fill out because imagine being a high school player trying to stop him from dunking what are you going to do right so he has not really been forced to come up with plan b plan c plan d and i don't know if people we're comparing him to Okafor just because of the lack of defense and sort of like a limited offensive game. But there, that it's that, a totally different thing. Comp makes no and sense. That's at all. sort of what I was talking about. Where I, I like over the last ten days or so, I've had to do a double take with Bagley. Where I'm like, you know what? He like, there's a lot of like quick twitch athleticism there, 
an explosion around the rim and just turn and turn is, in face game too you know yeah. like that's the thing i never really liked okafor as a prospect i kind of respected his craft and his fundamentals but i was like that's not going to matter on the nba level i think bagley will have the ability to not only be an efficient individual scorer but being part of an efficient offense and that's what okafor could just never do because he, he can't space out Right. Uh, he can't really shoot from outside and he needs to have the ball to be effective and he wants to pound 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 and he wants to do it all in the basket area and that's just death in NBA offense and I don't think Bagley's at that point you know I think you can get him up and down in transition you can get him the ball and let him make quick decisions attacking yeah you can get him into mismatch situations use his length you can throw lobs to him uh you can let him attack the offensive glass you know I think he's got a really nice motor uh, he's kind of a heat-seeking missile uh I think all those things fit in a modern basketball sense in ways that we would just never say about Okafor. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, all right, let's move on. Before we do, I... And, ha- and he needs to put weight on. That's a, that's also different. And, but there's room for that. <laughs> um, yeah. Remember vegan jaw, that, that whole era? I must have missed it. Was it going 120 miles over a bridge? <laughs> I don't know. Sketchy track record of uh, vegan athletes recently. But listen, one other thing... On the Kawhi stuff, okay, he's not going to get traded to the Kings. I feel pretty confident in that. But when we finished our podcast, the more I've thought about it, I do kind of feel like there's going to be a wild card team that just makes a crazy offer, which is sort of what you were talking about. Yeah. Because what about Phoenix? I mean, would hey. you rather have Aiden or Kawhi Leonard? You got to be pretty confident you can keep Kawhi. You're closer to L.A., warm weather, uh, start of something big. I don't know. It depends on what Uncle Dennis says. Next question. Andrew says, in the last episode, Sharp mentioned it would be amazing for the offseason if someone took Ryan Anderson's contract for three first-round picks before free agency. It would be amazing. And he says, aren't the Nets the perfect team for this? And this came in like a week ago. And it turns out the Nets found a better deal. They took on old Dwight Howard... I don't know about better deal. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm curious. We haven't talked all day. What are your thoughts on the on the Dwight deal? Well, there's that phrase like dead money, you know, where like you know, guy's injured, so his contract is just on the books and you you trade for him and you're stuck. It's like a just a giant cap hit and Mm -hmm. then you're just waiting for him basically for his contract to expire. I feel like Dwight Howard is now the leading candidate for the dead personality. Like his personality is so toxic and so bad that like you're taking him and how much contract he's owed onto your books and into your locker room and you're just you know, you're you're essentially writing off any season that he's a part of at this point and you're yeah. just saying, Look, this is the cost of doing business. Um very damning. I mean, he's you can't even keep up with all of his his stops. If I asked you to name all of his stops in his career in order right now on the spot, could you do it? I mean, that's how bad it's gotten. <sighs> and this guy is a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, where was he? Was he in Atlanta? Atlanta before Charlotte. And yeah, I could name the others, but it's <laughs> your point is well <laughs> you, taken. You, you had to think about it. <laughs> um, I just, it's funny because I I tweeted this morning reading the details of the trade. I said, this trade makes me depressed for both sides. Um, And I was immediately inundated with a bunch of people who were like, no, the Nets are getting off money. It's a great deal for Brooklyn. And to be clear, I understand what the Nets are doing. And it is kind of a no-brainer deal. And I wish the Wizards had done it. But when you really play it out for Brooklyn, like having Dwight Howard there all year next season, I would like it more for them if they planned on buying him out, honestly. Just send him home. Yeah, and... Not only that, I mean, they're clearing space 
for what exactly? Because I don't really buy the idea that they're suddenly going to go superstar chasing in in two years and be successful. Maybe they will. I mean, like, look, Durant could be available at some point here. So I like it's always good to have max cap space open, particularly if you're in a market like New York. But I think the immediate future is so grim that I'm just like, man, this has been a rough like four or five year stretch for Brooklyn and Charlotte. Like, is a whole other. Well, that's, thing. What, that's what I was gonna say. I mean, kudos to Dwight. He cost his coach and his GM their jobs. I mean, he, <laughs> he was there for six months, and you know the gamble didn't work, and boom, they're both gone. Yeah. And like the first move. Just like the first move in Atlanta was like, get Dwight out of here. Just trade him to whoever will take it. Cup check, you know, it's just like, I don't care how bad this looks. <laughs> I, exactly. Cup check. Dwight had to be so bad for yeah. Cup check to, to embrace the Mozgov contract all over again. I like there were reports that he was he was rough to be around in the locker room and players were sick of him. But like, oh, I don't know. Andrew. <laughs> I'm not Doesn't sure. Doesn't sound like the Dwight I know. Yeah, but, I don't know. I don't know if we've ever heard that before. But like, how bad can a guy be to convince the front office that it's a good idea? to take on an extra year of Mozgov and I I mean I think he's by this point we know he's pretty rough I mean (laughs) uh, the track record is very clear and for a cup check I mean that really is like it's swallowing all of your pride to take the Mozgov contract back you're reminding people that you were the guy who paid Mozgov initially and that's your first move for your boss I mean you know how it is when you get a new job you want to come out of the gate with heaters you know what I mean (laughs) you want to have a full feature lined up that you could drop on your editor's desk and say hey man here we go and his heater was taking Mozgov back yeah all right well moving on back to the draft um pure draft Colin says Jaron Jackson Jr. If this guy is so good, why has he never been good? Do you have any thoughts on that, Ben? Not a ton, but I do think it's easier to see his profile tracking modern basketball than some of these the other guys, right? Unquestionably. So basically that would be, you know, defending in space, you know, being versatile and being able to shoot, right? I mean, isn't that what people kind of see? I don't totally trust the jumper. I think that like He's a guy who, in the same way that Josh Jackson shot like 40% from three at Kansas, I think Jared Jackson Jr., his form doesn't look great, uh, but well, he, it's not he as bad effective. As, it's not as bad as Jackson's. No, it's it's not like a straight-up knuckleball the way uh, Josh Jackson was. Yeah, Jackson's but... was like a unicycle that had like the tire pop. <laughs> and somehow went in just enough at Kansas, but I think everybody could see that there were going to be issues. Oh, my God. I remember at Summer League when he was jacking up shots and it was just like, let's just go get some uh, Dairy Queen Blizzard, uh, you know, like some mint chocolate chip ice cream. We, we got to have something to help this go down. You know what? I was talking to somebody off the record for the Aiton profile I did a couple weeks ago, and uh, he, we were talking about how Aiton would benefit in an NBA context, and we were saying, like, you know, he'll be <laughs> – He'll be in space. He'll have much better spacing than he ever had at Arizona. And then he's like, well, actually, I mean, not if Josh Jackson's on the court. But <laughs> um, but who knows, you know? Uh, Mimicking the closed court of the NCAA basketball style. Josh Jackson, what a, uh, what a tagline for him. <laughs> yeah. Look, Josh Jackson also played pretty well through the second half of the season. So we'll see where that goes. Jaron Jackson Jr., though. I think this is a fair point and one that's not been brought up enough throughout the draft process. He does fit really well in theory with where the game is going. And I wrote about big men at the top of the draft um, earlier this week. But even if he fits where the game's going, he's not a... 
I mean, do you see superstar potential? I don't really. And I see a lot of people comparing him to Al Horford, forgetting that Al Horford was fucking amazing at Florida and was like the best player yeah. in the country for two consecutive years before he went pro. And like Jared Jackson Jr., I understand teams that are buying in because I think that like he, I wouldn't even include him in the group of, of big men who are being drafted this week because he's he's a guy who fits perfectly with where things are going. And, and so when people are like, why are all these big men going in the top 10? That's a valid question for Aiton and Wendell Carter and Bagley. But Jared Jackson, you can see what teams are, are buying into. Would you take Jackson or Bamba? Uh, Jared Jackson. Bamba is really, really interesting. He's very polarizing, yeah. If I was going to take a guy who might get me fired, I think it'd be Mo Bamba from this group. Uh, really? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like if I, I had to roll about the his dice. ability to move laterally. I think that Jaron Jackson Jr. can actually guard wings if you need him to, whereas Bamba... Well, the thing is, if he just stands anywhere on the court and puts his arm out at a 45-degree angle, he doesn't have to cover the space. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's arms, Andrew. It's true. It's true. I don't know. I, I, he's a, Bamba is in the Bagley category where he's, he's a guy that I don't love but I would also not be surprised at all if I look up in two years and they are the best player in the class. You ever watch Slam Ball on TV when um, the guys are like on the trampolines jumping? Yes. I feel like Bamba's playing Slam Ball half the time when he plays defense. I mean, look, I don't think he's – I'm not saying he's like a perfect prospect. I wouldn't take him, you know, one, two, three. But I'd be starting to think about him after that. And even if he's not this sort of prototypical modern big because you know, he's probably going to run into some of the like positional issues – you know, can you play him off the court at, at yeah. times? I mean, yeah. Or he could maybe force some some matchups the other direction. You know, as, as he develops and gets stronger, just the physical tools that are there. Seems like a really bright kid. You know, smart, got a good head on his shoulders. I mean, he there's does. a lot of polishing to do. I think he also likes the fame a little bit. I mean, he seems like he's, you know, interested in, you know, exploring what it can be to be a, you know a top five type pick. But man. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I hear you. And yeah. he and he's tested really well. It's it's very funny though. Like coming into he had a very up and down year at Texas and people were like, "Well, he'll test really well and people will love him." And that's exactly what's happened. Is like physically he's off the charts. He interviews very well. He's done like I, I swear to God, every day on Twitter, there's a new video of him knocking down threes with Drew Hanlon standing next to him. And I'm not <laughs> like, even worried about that. Like yeah. that's fine. That's you know that's just icing on the cupcake i'm thinking more of like this is a guy who can control the paint with his length yeah i hear you and it'd be it'd be interesting to see a good team try to trade into that top five and steal him because i think if if you send him to one of these awful teams i don't really know (laughs) what he's gonna do for a 25 win team but like if the celtics were to trade up and try to steal him and make him the heir apparent to Al Horford like it could get pretty interesting at the same time if a bad team does take him and just throws him out there as their starter next year that I mean it's going to be ugly there's going to be a lot of losses but there could be some insane highlights like there could be some things where like he pins the ball above like a foot above the glass and there could he could get posterized about 50 times I mean I just think there's a lot of I'm watching his games. That's what I'm saying. I'm, you know, tu- I'm tuning in for rookie Mobamba. You know where I hope he doesn't go is Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> because I just I I'm not, I'm not entirely out on Mobamba, and I don't want to make it sound that way. But uh, throwing him and Dennis Smith Jr. together with Harrison Barnes and asking 
Dirk to go out with that team would just be too dark. Like, here's 82 more games on the Island of Misfit Toys, Dirk. I hope you enjoy it. We'll miss you. It's been a great 20 years. Yeah, I mean, I was mentioning some of the teams that guys didn't want to go to earlier. I did not mention Dallas, and I thought that they should have been on the list they, too. They might need to be. And and Dallas should not make this pick based on what looks right next to Dirk Nowitzki. I'm just yeah. talking purely as a fan. I would be kind of weirded out by that whole experience. To go back to Colin's question, though, he said, you know, if this guy is good, talking about Jaron Jackson, then why has he never been good? Isn't part of the reason he's good is because – Either way, he probably won't get you fired, you know. Yeah, like there's That's like a, great a level of like you kind you know where he's gonna get. You you know you're not expecting maybe like super duper star level, but you think he's gonna be really good and he's gonna be useful, fit, versatile. He's gonna be able to play in your lineups. I mean, isn't that a part of why people would take him early because? you know, the bus potential isn't there. Yeah. And I also think that whoever takes Jaron Jackson Jr. is guaranteed to get praised by basketball yeah. media who can connect the dots and say, look, this guy fits with where the game is going, but like he may not be good. Yeah. And I think it's a valid concern. Okay. So guys like you are trying to win the instant snap reaction grades. Guys like me are going to take a chance on Mo Bamba. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to win long-term. Well, Jaron Jackson Jr. is guaranteed to be solid. I think anyways, um, Moving on, we'll go rapid fire with some of these. I'll say this. The odds that in five years I'm higher on Jaron Jackson than Mo Bamba are pretty good. Pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) But Mo Bamba would definitely be the more entertaining hit. Like if he he actually hits, uh, I I think that would be great for the league. So Where do you think Bamba should go? I mean, obviously Dallas, you said five, maybe doesn't make a lot of sense. Like what's a good fit for him? Oh man, if I mean if we're limiting it to the teams in the top 10, that's part of my problem it's is rough. I don't see <laughs> like I mean, I, is does he become the like eighth center that Orlando adds in the last 4 or 5 hey, years? Andrew, we're going to have Biombo Tutor him. It'll it'll be great. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. I would love to see him on a winning team that can kind of groom him. Um maybe if the if the Grizzlies were to trade back, I don't know. It's we're we're just spitballing here. Um but uh Here's a, a prospect that you have probably never heard of, but Barack says, why has there been absolutely zero hype around Josh Akogi? He's a shooting guard with a seven-foot wingspan and a legit jump shot. At the combine, he had the fastest three-quarters court sprint, highest vertical, and eighth-best shuttle time. He seems like a prototypical 3 and D guard, yet nobody seems to care. In three years, when Akogi is the next Danny Green... I will say I told you so. And Barack, I will too, because I love Josh Akogi. I think that he was in a kind of a strange situation in college where he was asked to do too much. And I always, the one inefficiency left with the draft is take players from crappy college teams that had no idea what they were doing. And he fits that bill. And just from a, I mean, Barack laid it all out. Like, from a measurable standpoint, there's a lot to to really like. And uh, of the the second half of the first round is is basically like 15 different projects on the wing, and Okogi would be the the wing project that I'm most into. Yeah, shooting guard with seven foot wingspan sounds pretty great to me. Before you get into any of the other stuff that Barack mentioned, but like Andrew Barack just graduated from law school. Barack, stop going through the spreadsheets of guys' shuttle times at the draft (laughs) 
and hit hit your uh, your bar exam notebook. Okay, focus. Don't get sidetracked with this basketball stuff, man. We need you to you know turn this legal career into a true profession. That's true. As open floor gets bigger and bigger, we're going to need professional representation. So hopefully, you go into entertainment law. Yeah, once we start saying some things across the line, we could need a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, moving on from Josh Akogi, uh, we have several questions from Adam who says, who are the Warriors going to steal at the end of the draft that will play rotation playoff minutes for them next year? My money is on Anthony Simons. Nope, Anthony Simmons. <laughs> but don't c- count out Mo Wagner. I have a hard time imagining Mo Wagner on the Warriors. I think he's a little bit too slow. And also Draymond Green has apparently been involved in the scouting process. I don't think he'd let them take a Michigan player. Anthony Simmons is uh, 19 years old. And I think they need someone who can actually help them next year so that's the extent of my analysis yeah I, i'm gonna bring two pretty worthless points first of all i prefer if we call him <laughs> wagner rather than wagner you're right i'm sorry well because he's german and you'll remember wagner's opus during the ncaa tournament oh, he, yeah. his masterpiece where i was ready to draft him number one overall after he uh you know guided guided blue somebody deep. should take that dude i, I think I he's think gonna, be gonna be really be golden good. state but yeah, i think it's gonna he's gonna be a good player uh, in terms of Anthony, this is unrelated. I don't know if you saw Nick Van Exel tweet out Penny Hardaway highlights, and he he had the caption like, "You guys had no idea how good Anthony Hardaway was." Yep. Go watch that highlight tape, open floor listeners. You will not be disappointed. Whoever put that <laughs> Anthony Hardaway tape together that caught Nick Van Exel's eye, yeah, did a fabulous job. Some of the passes there are just gorgeous. Yeah, he was incredible. Uh, and I love Nick Van Exel also. Somebody we somebody hit us up with a question like who were your favorite players growing up? Nick Van Exel was on my list. So go out, Google Nick Van Exel's Twitter account. Follow Nick Van Exel <laughs> on all social media accounts. <laughs> While you're there, I'm Ben.Golver on Instagram. It's a great way to celebrate draft week, some 25-year-old highlights. Um, go to Buffalo Wild Wings, <laughs> get your hair products, get your shaver, <laughs> and go find Nick Van Exel's Twitter. I don't have any predictions for the Warriors, except that it's going to be infuriating because they will take someone who's a really smart investment for them. And then also they'll take someone who will look good on their team next year and would probably suck elsewhere. Like that's how I feel about Jordan Bell. He's a great fit in Golden State. And had you put him on like like Bulls fans will never forgive uh, like Reinsdorf for selling oh, yeah. that pick as they, they sh- are completely justified. However, had you put Jordan Bell on the Bulls last year, like he probably would have been a mess. No, I, I hear you. I have a prediction, actually, for what the Warriors are going to do in this draft. You know how last year they bought the pick to get Jordan Bell because they actually needed Jordan Bell? Like, mm-hmm. in a way, for their roster composition, like that filled a hole, right? Like, in your long-term planning, it's like, we kind of need an heir to Draymond at some point, potentially, and we can play him at the five because sure. we don't know what we're doing. Going out and getting Jordan Bell paying for the right to do it made sense as a basketball move. I think that they're going to go out and buy a pick this year just as a middle finger to the rest of the league (laughs) to to just be like, guess what, guys? We have so much money. We don't even care. Whatever the maximum that we can pay for a draft pick is, we're going to find a sad sack team 
we're going to trade for that pick, and then whoever we take with it, well, hopefully, you know, presumably it'll be a player that they could actually use. Yeah. But regardless, they're not even going to care if they're going to get like the the plaudits afterwards of saying, "Oh, wow, uh, well, they stole this exactly. player." Exactly. I, I I don't even think it's about stealing the player, although that's definitely part of it. They like being thought of as smarter than everyone else. Yeah. But it's also partly. Joe Lacob going out of his way to shame other owners who oh, don't totally. want to spend that money. and Well, uh, not even spend the money, but who just have been complaining about the exactly. whole competitive They've balance guilt tripping him, and yeah. he's like, look, we're leaving no stone unturned and throwing $5 million at whoever will take it. I just hope that if I were Adam Silver, I would send a mass email before the draft and be like, look, nobody is going to cop out <laughs> and sell a, a second round pick to the Warriors this year. You're going to get five owners writing back immediately, unsubscribe, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) Give us our bucks. Did you see our TV deal? That's my prediction. They will spend an outrageous amount for a second-round pick, and we won't even care who they took because the conversation will just be like, Joe Lacob, I'm the man. Yeah, I hear you. Um, All right, a couple more questions. Would the Knicks prefer— Hold on a second. That sounded like I was rooting for him. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Would the Knicks prefer the playmaking point guard, Trey Young, or the all-around play of Wendell Carter Jr.? I think Carter would slide in very nicely next to Porzingis, and together they would make for a terrifying front court. This is another question from Adam, and I completely agree. I really like Wendell Carter Jr., I am curious to see where he ends up because he's another guy who, if you put him in a winning situation, I think can be really helpful. I'd love to see him in Philly next year. Um, I have and, a fresh eyes question for okay. you about him. Him versus Bagley. Do you think some of these conversations we were having about Jaron Jackson Jr. earlier in terms of like who projects as like a cleaner fit sort of modern-wise, would you say that Wendell Carter Jr. might be in that category versus a Bagley? You know, it's tough. I think... The answer might be yes, in part because Wendell Carter Jr. is more likely to embrace a role as like a secondary or tertiary guy who is willing to kind of do some of the little things. And um, Bagley, I think the best case scenario of, of Bagley's career is is much better than Wendell Carter Jr. Because he's an alpha scorer. He's a perennial exactly. all-star. He's selling... He's selling Puma sneakers. Right, exactly. Um, but Wendell Carter Jr., very smart. He's I don't know how much you've read from him this past few weeks, but like he is probably the most thoughtful guy in the draft. And really, the only reason I'm not willing to completely write off Mo Bamba is he's very smart. And the same is true with Wendell Carter, except I like his game a little bit more. And I think like you look across the best players in the league right now. And this is probably the smartest crew, like group of elite players we've had probably ever in the NBA. And uh, I think that like hoops IQ and just raw IQ is a real thing that teams should be looking for at this point. It's amazing to hear you say this. You know, I wish I could go back two years <laughs> and just capture that audio of you just saying how important it is for basketball IQ. But then if that's the case, why aren't we saying Luca, man? Come on. You need okay. to get in on Luca. Hey, look, that's a if perfect. If we're saying this is a smart class, wouldn't we say the highest hoops IQ of the whole class belongs to Luca Doncic? Perfect segue to the next question. Look at this, pro style. Okay. And Adam says, Am I insane to think that the Suns should draft Luca Doncic? They hired his coach. I don't think he has the most upside, but 
easily he has the least downside of anyone in the draft. And so, look, we've gone back and forth arguing about Luca's ceiling and where he belongs. I, I just want to read part of a scouting report that hit, it was on Dime Magazine this week, and it was a player who played against Luca in Europe named Eric McCollum. And so here's... Here's what Eric McCollum C- CJ's says. CJ's brother, correct? I don't know. Maybe. I, bl- I believe he is, yes. Well, he was dead on. He he, said, he's quite a good player, too. We sh- this is not just some random scrub. Eric McCollum can ball. Well, he did a really good job. He said he's ready. I just wouldn't say he's Dirk, or Powell, or Marcus Gasol, like others have been trying to say. It's easier for European bigs to adjust to the NBA than guards. And that's a really important point because I think everyone's like, oh, this is anti-Euro stigma. Haven't we seen over and over again? It's just it's a different conversation when you're talking about guards and wings. Anyways, so McCollum continues. He says it's just easier overseas because if you're 6'8 and you can dribble, shoot, play ISO and play pick and roll, you're already in the NBA. So there aren't a lot of guys like Luka Doncic over there, and there aren't a lot of teams that can match up with his size. I've seen what happens to him when he goes against players his height or close to it who are also athletic. He struggles mightily. Go check the film in Panathinaikos series. Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) He was struggling to create space to get the team and the offense comfortably and to create shots and get by guys. Granted, that's the most athletic team in EuroLeague, but that's the kind of athleticism he'll see in the NBA. Well, sometimes. I mean, I think we overrate the NBA's overall quality of product. Like, You can convince me he's going to struggle athletically, in the first couple of years, especially if he doesn't get his body improved. And I think that's going to be a given. I think we can expect, even though he's such a finished player right now, yeah, his body will get better. You can convince me he would struggle once he gets to the playoffs, for sure. Against for sure. playoff teams, for sure. There's a lot of teams out there that... And that's true of all everybody that we've talked about in the top 10. I exactly. mean, there's a lot of like imperfect prospects here. And I just think that... It's the idea that because he's been so successful in this one league, it means that there's nothing to worry about and he's going to be a star. And these teams are just ignoring like a clear star that's sitting there is a little questionable. So the last part of this is what he said. He said, he'll be a very good pro. He's ready and he'll make an impact as a rookie. I feel like he caps out at 18 points a game, which is excellent in the NBA. It's just not a superstar or guaranteed all-star every year. And I feel like if you're picking at one, you're drafting a player to be a number one off- uh, option or a franchise changer. Luca's really good, but if he's your best player, you won't be a contender. If he's your second best player, you'll fight for the playoffs. If he's your third option, I think that team is really good. That's how I feel about Luka Doncic. Thank you, Eric McCollum, for nailing Ex- my my conflicted thoughts because I I do like him I just don't know if he's like quite as good as the internet has been implying. I understand you never want to go at the crowd you always have to push back <laughs> and I think he made excellent points and I actually think a lot of Doncic's supporters yeah would maybe even agree I to every single would, point yeah. you know if it really comes push comes to shove maybe you could be a little bit higher here or there but. Uh, you know, this guy wasn't at the media availability because he's winning <laughs> titles in Spain. Meanwhile, right. Aiden is at media availability. He's asked, what's a, su- a successful career? And his answer is, if I get a second contract. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I was we waiting have, for you to bring out the knives on that quote. We have, I just think we have a very clear like okay. know, contrast here. And 
when you're saying, I think he tops out at 18 points per game, well, how many centers of Aiton's style are going to be giving you alpha scoring night in and night out? How many still do that in the NBA on good teams? Not many. Okay. Right? So when we're looking down the list, I mean, Joel Embiid, that might be the whole list, right? I mean, Carl Anthony Towns and Embiid, to me, have overall wider skill packages offensively than what Aiton does, right? Uh-huh. So is Aiton necessarily going to be in that alpha scoring role? And if he's not, then why are you, you know, the same franchise-changing standard you're holding Luka to should be held to Don, uh, to Aiton as well? I think that's a fair argument to make and I don't feel like crazy confident that we're going to look up in eight years and DeAndre Ayton is going to be a better pro than Luka Doncic don't, is... you, don't you just think he should be able to beat you at golf too <laughs> <laughs> yeah look while we're nitpicking I don't know man I think one thing that's kind of funny and you mentioned it there has been a lot of people on Twitter who are like Oh, sorry, Luka Doncic isn't dominating workouts. He's too busy yeah. winning titles. Well, <laughs> those those make me groan too, right? Like, like it's too far. I hear that. But and it, it, I mean, we talk about this every year with you don't take the NCAA tournament too seriously when you evaluate draft prospects. But Luka then goes and wins a EuroLeague title, and it's like, how can you not draft this guy? It's in, in unthinkable. Like, what are teams doing? And really, like. I think that's where I th- I, the sanctimony is kind of misplaced because he's a, he's a good prospect, and the question of whether he becomes a star is a real one. I just think, I mean, the Eurobasket stuff to me is pretty compelling too because I, I like that tournament, you know, his performance last year. And when and he looked good. Like, the highlights are impressive. And, and when he's doing it against NBA players, he's not scared, you know? Yeah. Like, if he's getting that switch on Porzingis, he knows what he wants to do against Porzingis. The average 18-year-old European guy with the ball in his hands gets switched onto Porzingis, sees a 7-3 guy with long arms, and is thinking pass immediately, so, right? to me, from an evaluation standpoint, I understand that it's the second-best league in the world, but I also think it's – it's not quite that simple when you're talking about evaluating draft prospects because there is like a significant drop off in athleticism, even from what guys are seeing in college. And, I, and that sort of complicates things well, a little there's bit. There's benefits to playing for a professional team with fellow professionals in there, a structure yes. on a regular schedule, not being thrown into a dorm room and having to take care of your, you know, NCA stuff. And, and for some of these guys, let's be honest, dealing with an FBI investigation, <laughs> like there's a lot going on in the NCA side that could, uh, prevent you from showing your true abilities. Like in Europe, it's so much easier for him to play the position, you know, to have a team sort of designed around his playmaking capabilities. Whereas we're saying with eight, he didn't even play the right position. Yeah. You know, and like he hand selected that program. He didn't even play the right spot. To me, that's so dumb and it, it's tough for him. I'm not going to hold that against him when we're sort of evaluating it. You know, it makes me think twice, like how much thought did he put into his, uh, to his school choice there? But, you know, some things are out of his control, I guess. But, I think you're right to say that there are advantages that we almost need to hold against Luca because structurally he's in position to succeed where no college player would have the same advantages. Yeah, and I think some people look at this as like triple A AAA to the NBA's pros, and there that's true in some respects and not true in others. I think that the the gap is is wider in terms of athleticism. But I don't know, it's going to be fascinating to watch cuz Luka definitely thinks he's going to be a superstar and I've heard I've talked to NBA people who have said like could get complicated if he doesn't turn into the player that he thinks he's going to be. But No, we've seen that before. I mean, I, I saw it up firsthand with Rudy Fernandez. I mean, he's another one of these guards where does it totally translate from 
you know, Europe to the NBA. I mean, he's gets in a situation where he's totally used to being able to operate off the dribble all day long and have these like alley-oops thrown to him by Sergio Rodriguez constantly and, you know, treated, uh, you know, almost coddled. Like a king, yeah. Yeah, coddled. And he gets to Portland and he's, you know, coming off the bench. And, you know, he's on a very short leash. And when he jacks up the three-pointers early in the shot clock, Nate McMillan's, like, you know, pulling what little hair out of his head that he has left, you know. And, and that was a different, stupider era in yeah. basketball. And I think we're evolved now to the point where Luca will have every opportunity. And the best version of his game would be so cool to have as, as a, like, star in the NBA. So yeah, I guess my point was he was, like, an elite wing in Europe. He went back and had a huge yeah. career. And the athleticism questions that, you know, Eric McCollum's raising got to Rudy. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't able to just break guys down off the dribble whenever he wanted in the NBA. There was a lot of times where he'd take two dribbles, wouldn't get the separation, and would have to kick out. And, you know, possessions are dying in his hands. And then defensively, he was never on that NBA level. And I think that's sort of what people expect from Luka, too. Like, his body needs serious work if he's going to defend yeah. on a high level in the NBA. <clears throat> At worst, he's going to be a killer role player who is fun to watch and makes a lot of winning plays. But uh, beyond that, it'll, it'll be pretty interesting. And, I mean, do you think he ends up in, in Memphis? Is that... Uh, to me, what's Atlanta doing if they don't take him? That's a good question. I don't... Just take him. I mean, I've first thought of all, what's about Sacramento it? doing if they don't take him? They sh- and you know what? What's Phoenix doing? Hold on, hold on. I kind of see where the Kings are coming from because, number one, you know, this is the first time in, or maybe the second time in the last 20 years that they've actually moved up in the lottery. They don't have a pick next year. I understand just swinging for the fences. Go for whoever can be a superstar. And, again, I don't think that's Luka. And I don't. they're not crazy if they don't think that. But Atlanta, like, there has not been – any excitement around that franchise even during some of i mean i guess 2014 was like the peak of hawks fever I mean, paul, but like paul Millsap was just <laughs> yeah i'm not here to knock your guy Millsap. i just feel like look what what's the jaron jackson jr doesn't project to be much better than like a a really awesome role player and at, that's the kind of like the baseline for luca at, at at worst you're getting that and you're also getting someone who will make your team kind of a must-watch. Um, it seems like a no-brainer to me, but for whatever reason, they've been kind of split on him. They threw out a smoke screen that was like pretty transparent, uh, I think, on Tuesday night, where Woj came out and was like, sources say the Hawks are le- looking hard at Luka Doncic, which is kind of like, please trade for this pick. <laughs> but I don't, I don't think that's the direction they're going to go, and I don't understand why. Yeah, I mean... Don't you think that that smoke screen could be? We've already gotten offers for this pick because people believe Doncic is like the best player available at three. Yeah, and so there's already teams who have sort of maybe fallen in love with him or are more excited about him, and it's sort of like not please trade for this trick, but like let's have this auction. You know? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's another thing where if you're a team that already has that first or second best player, and you're and you're drafting Luca to be the third guy, like make that move absolutely um and like if philly wanted to make that move i would get it and i would be pretty interested to see how it works because because like you need to make sure that luca can shoot but like it's not a bad idea it's still so crazy to me that they would hire his coach the guy who calls him wonder boy and then not take him because when you look at so many other situations if he goes you know three to atlanta new coach uh for memphis you know basically you know for all intents and purposes a new coach without really a a defined 
uh, track record. You look at Orlando, they've got a new coach. Like all these situations where he could potentially land, it's like everything's already in flux. Now you're going to throw this guy who has this major transition he's got to undertake into that mix with a new coach who's trying to prove things and do things his way. I mean, that's tough for anybody. And, um, you know, it's tough for any 19-year-old guy. But I think Luke is going to arrive with more expectations because of some of the hype that you've mentioned yeah. than a lot of these other guys. Like, I think a lot of these players, they... There, yeah, I was just going to say, there's no question he's going to be the most interesting person on Thursday night. Yeah. Because I, I think, like, everyone's going to... No one's heard from this dude other than that Howard Beck feature uh, yeah. in the last, like, two months. He's been busy in the playoffs. And so... Seeing him on the draft broadcast will be really interesting. And then going forward for the next two or three years, like he's the guy to watch from all this. Yeah, and not even the next two, three years. I think this coming season, because like I said, there if nobody trades, there's a better chance than not. He's going to go to a place that has hired a new coach. Yeah. And they're probably going to be going through roster overhaul. He's going to be stuck in the middle of that, and he's going to be adjusting to the NBA style of play on top of it. That's a lot of challenges. And uh, if I was his people... I would have been pushing a lot harder to be the number one pick. Like, we didn't really hear a lot of that. You know, Aiton, I mean, this guy's been campaigning for longer than a presidential you know, what's candidate. what's interesting is his people are the same as Aiton's people. They're both yeah. wrapped by Bill Duffy, and I wonder... So they just made a deal behind the scenes and said, we just want him to go there? Or maybe Phoenix made it clear up front? I don't know. I don't know. It would be great if Phoenix shocked the world. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine Aiton's face if he didn't go number one? Yeah, you know what? Anything is possible tomorrow night. Anyways, we've gone too long here. Uh, a couple last notes. Tom from Dayton wanted to make sure that we are aware that Giannis's younger brother is available to be drafted uh, on Thursday night. And look, I would love anyone to make an investment in Giannis Inc. Part 2 and really like wizards any wizards personnel who's listening you can win me back in one fell swoop by drafting Giannis's younger brother in the second round thursday night i have a thought on this okay look if the bucks are serious about treating no Giannis, shit yeah <laughs> if they're serious about catering to Giannis, first of all they built a brand new arena for him right yeah big step 100%. second of all they brought in coach bud who you know the Giannis inc board you know we vouched for i was campaigning oh, yeah. for for more than a month they brought him in great move um, they get, put the keys in his hands. If LeBron can get Shabazz Napier drafted by the Heat when he doesn't even play for the Heat, the Bucks better be bringing in Giannis's brother on a contract. And on top of that, any of his other family members who need two-way deals, sign them up too. Get All his right. girlfriend a two-way deal. <laughs> there you go. The gauntlet has been thrown down, Milwaukee. Make a move. Make this happen. Uh, and then do it with the straight face, by the way. Afterward, no, we just liked his talent. <laughs> we just think he's got unbelievable upside. No, no, we didn't, we didn't draft it because of his brother. Yeah, well, last question is from Carlos, who says, there is a Buffalo Wild Wings next door to the Barclays Center. We could have coordinated a large-scale open-floor globe meetup at B-Dubs, complete with ranch drinking contests <laughs> and mock drafts. What might have been? And he says, it's nice in the city, so Ben, I hope you find a nice hike while you're here. It's not nice in the city, Andrew. I came from, you know, I'm a little, you can see I'm a little sunburned. Yeah. I had a beautiful weekend bird watching in California. I come here and I'm stuck on the tarmac for an hour at JFK, not to complain about travel because I don't do that, because of a lightning storm. They wouldn't let us go to our gate because lightning was striking the little things that connect the gates to the planes. Not great. Can I tell you something? I got up here. It was 97 degrees outside. And it was like 262% humidity. And I loved it because I thought to myself, 
Good. This is the weather that Ben deserves. This is Eastern <laughs> Conference weather. <laughs> Fuck that, like 80 degrees, no humidity, LA weather. This is Eastern Conference summer. And they're trying to smoke me out. It's, it's just like, all part of the draft <laughs> just, experience. Just like the Spurs and LeBron. But listen, the reason we couldn't do a hangout at Buffalo Wild Wings is because we are doing a virtual hangout on the draft show tomorrow. Everyone, come check it out. We'll promote it uh, tomorrow afternoon, and uh, it should be fun. Basically, just a live podcast, yeah, so which is not what the video people think it's going to be. There's going to be four people in there. We're going to be having takes, but it's not going to be just draft stuff. So don't worry. We're not going to be up there like reading guys, you know, three-quarter shuttle drill stuff like Barack was trying to get us to talk about earlier. It's going to be big picture thought process. How do guys fit in certain situations? How should teams build around them going forward? There's going to be some free agency talk, obviously. There's going to be some trades to break down in real time. Remember last year, you weren't on the draft show, but you know the Jimmy Butler trade happens like in the middle of the show. Boom. You know, it's like an yeah. atomic bomb. And so reacting in real time produces And I'm some not going to like takes. that. <laughs> I like to gather my thoughts a little bit, but we'll see how it goes. Anyways. Don't worry, guys. I will make him uncomfortable and put him on the spot. But I ask for one thing in return. Go to Apple Podcasts, search open floor. That's two words. Find our page, scroll down. It says rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy. Andrew, we are the postmates of podcasts. You should review us. It helps us out. We really appreciate it. And also keep the questions coming. Like I told them earlier, Andrew, if they send in questions to openfloormail at gmail.com, those questions could get read during the draft show as we interact with the fans. It will be a second screen experience. It will also be an interactive (laughs) experience. Tone it down. Time to go. I'm going to spend the next 48 hours arguing with you. Uh, But we will be back Friday with a draft recap and Thursday night with a draft show. Take it easy, Ben. Andrew, it's so great to be here with you. Until tomorrow, I'll talk to you. All right. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.